Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Stories Between the Lines, a podcast. This is your host Nandini from New Jersey and I'm joined by my co-host Poini from Mumbai. We are super excited to have you on board with us today. Hi Poini, how have you been? Hi Nandini, I'm doing great and I'm really happy to be back on Stories Between the Lines of a podcast. You know, I've been having an itchy feet for the past few days thinking about this episode. As a saying goes, the most significant part of a road trip is not about arriving at the destination, but the journey itself. And today we are going to do just that. We are going on an awesome journey through some scenic mountainous roads with Rajat Ghosh. I wanted to first thank you Poini for recommending Rajat for a travel episode with us. I am so excited to bring Rajat on board to this podcast and to hear all about his travel odysseys and to actually go on a road trip, a virtual one through his photographic lens. Are you excited about today's episode? Yes, totally, totally a big fat yes. and uh, i am totally excited for today's episode and also another thing rajat and i uh, know each other since the last 20 plus years and in saint xavier's college mumbai we were together so you know it's a good friendship through the years so for me travel can be short or long as long as i get out from the safe confines of my home i just love it and i love nature travel to be in the mountains or the beaches but i'm happy that you know we are covering this episode of traveling also another thing you know when i was younger uh, i used to go locally with my cousin brothers on a bike and you know riding pillion behind it was super fun but with rajat i guess we will be traveling with him so it is going to take us to another exciting dimension and i'm looking forward to it All right then so buckle up get ready to enjoy the trip If a road trip on a motorbike has been on your bucket list and you needed a little nudge to do it we hope this episode will motivate you to do just that Our travel expert for today is Rajat Ghosh Rajat is a travel photographer who travels across the globe to photograph, film and promote adventure tourism and is very passionate about conserving nature trails through workshops and photography. Hi Rajat, welcome to Stories Between the Lines podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. and we are really looking forward to going on a virtual road trip with you thank you for the welcome nandini uh, yes it's a pleasure and travel as you know is a great way to see the world grow empathy be a better person a way to challenge yourself so would love to share my point of view of what happens and why it happens totally agree with you rajat you are a professional photographer and a perpetual traveler i believe A statement you made in one of the articles I read about you on your website really resonated with me. I still have that as a quote, uh, as a signature for one of my personal email accounts. Here's the quote: 
when people arrive at their grave at the end of their journey the life they lived should proclaim wow what a journey all tattered and roughed up rather than a smooth drive all the way what is it that inspires you to travel rajat so true so right about this uh, for me the journey is more important than reaching the destination so spending time with nature being one with nature being one with oneself because i do a lot of travel on my motorbike and that gives me an opportunity to spend time by myself while on the road so meeting people spending time with them getting to know their lifestyles these things kind of motivate me to travel hmm that kind of leads me to the next question you know i've always heard that a place is best seen through the eyes of the locals do you agree and can you share some of that experience with us Uh, see when you interact with locals you get to know a lot about the mythology and myths of that place which i think is very interesting and it adds a new perspective to where we are so when you are interacting with the locals one is about the food one is about places to see it also builds a trust because when you are there and if you are in trouble they are your first line of defense so if they know that you are there and you are not a threat to them they usually welcome you and your trip usually is more fun yeah so rajat today nandini and i along with our listeners are coming along with you on a virtual travel expedition to darjeeling now i love traveling but i have never been on a biking trip of course when i was a kid i have gone on a few bike trips with my cousin brothers in the local areas so still i am an absolute novice We all want our road trips to go just right. Much of the success and joy comes from getting ready for the trip. So before we head off, can you let us know how to prepare for a biking trip? Hey, interesting question. Yes, there is quite a bit of preparation needed when we go on a bike trip. Uh, I personally like to keep my bike ready that I can just leave. Uh, so usually what i would do is i would prepare the bike have some spares like a spare headlight chain locks accelerator cable and clutch wire these are the essentials which you definitely want to have along with you uh, in case of a flat tire so i would keep a tube with me a puncher repair kit equipment wise this is what i mostly carry now i split up my luggage in four parts so i carry a saddle bag the saddle bag is which has stuff that i will need only when i reach my destination of sort so usually they will have change of clothes like maybe four t-shirts two full length shirts a jacket uh underwear socks things like that then i have a tank bag which sits as the name suggests on my fuel tank and that carries my sunglass my camera my some equipment which i can like you know a spanner and a screwdriver so that when i stop in case i need to do some small minor adjustments i can do that because i'm often dependent on gps so i carry two sets of chargers with me which mm-hmm. i can use to charge my phone while i'm riding and along with i have a tracking device So when I'm on a route the tracking device is tracking me. It's from a company called Pogo and it 
it backs up. So if there is no network, it backs up my images and my travel path up to 12 days. So once I again get network, it will update it. And also my family, usually someone is aware of where I'm traveling because of this particular device. Because if I share a trip with somebody, like, you know, let's say I share it with my sister or I share it with some friend. So they are able to track. If I'm in trouble, they know that where I am, what is happening. Other than this, I have a tail bag, which carries my rain gear. So it's like a raincoat, my boots for keeping me out of rain, waterproof gloves, things like that, which I need quick access to. And the way that you pack is you make sure that things you are going to need every now and then you keep it very handy. And then things that you are not going to need that often, you tie it down wrap it with a plastic to keep the water out. Those are some really good tips, especially I, li- I like it that you talked about the tracking device because uh, especially if you're a solo traveler, I think it's very critical that uh, you have that so that your loved ones know where you are or if you're in trouble. A really good tip, Rajat. Today, you're going to walk us through, uh, or should I say bike us through a road trip from Jamshedpur in the Indian city of Jharkhand to Darjeeling in West Bengal. So let's go. So Jamshedpur to Calcutta is roughly around 300 kilometers. Uh, Roads are very good. So Google says that it takes around six hours, which, which average it sounds okay. But usually if I'm just traveling by the metal road, Uh, It will take me around five hours, maybe. It's a four-lane highway for most part. But typically, like a biker, it gets very boring when you're just traveling on metal road, which is you're just speeding by. So what I often do is I travel around 30 kilometers out of the city, and then I start taking state highways. So typically from Jamshedpur to Calcutta, you take highway 18 and then highway NH49 and you would reach Calcutta. But I would often go to a place called uh, Khatshala and then start taking state highways. Typically what happens is state highways have more character. They are narrower roads. Mostly they are free of trucks. So if you are doing small section, like I will probably take a detour of around 100 kilometers, go via Dalbungar, Chakulia, Jhargram, use these state highways. So it will probably add another hour and a half to my ride, uh, which is what I did on this particular trip. And especially since it's only a, like Google says there is six hours. So I left around seven in the morning and I knew that I would still reach Calcutta with daylight, even if I took state highways, which is why I decided to do this. Usually I want to stop by five in the evening. So that is how I plan my trip. So on these major highways or the state roads you mentioned, in case you have a breakdown or are there service areas along the way? So state highways typically have less of service area and you have to take a jump of faith when you're taking state highways. But on a national highway, it's always safer to travel on a national highway because you have more eateries, you have more shops to fix breakdowns if need be, puncture shops. But then when you're on a bike trip, you're also on an adventure trip. You're also about challenging yourself. Typically, if I have a breakdown and if there is a regular shop, I will just ride there. 
But if I am on a state highway and a breakdown happens, I will probably try to fix it myself. So it's the adventure spirit which makes us travel to some extent, I feel. And it's challenging going out of your safety zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we take road trips, right? To break the monotony of a a flight travel or by train. It just, you're, you're free to do what you want. Right. So now we are on to the next leg of the trip, which is from Kolkata to Raiganj. So on day two, uh, we started from Dandam and we roughly had around 400 kilometers to cover. Uh, So typically on a road trip, I wouldn't suggest more than 500 kilometers in a day. Uh, if we are using National Highway, which makes it almost 12 hours of riding time. So if you start at 5, 5.30 in the morning, you are usually in your destination by 5, 5.30 in the evening. One of the reasons we go about it this way is when you can get an early morning start, uh, one, it is very peaceful and tranquil when you're riding at that time. And also because there is less traffic, usually between 5 and 8, being able to put 100, 150, or maybe even 200 kilometers behind you, it frees you up a lot for the rest of the day to explore places along the way. So usually I try not to stop at all for the first 150 kilometers, run through that, and then I take my time. If I notice some place that looks interesting, I would take a break. Or if I see some place which I have read about and it sounds like, oh, you know, we could just go and spend some time. Like on this particular trip, we reached a place called Malda, which is famous for mangoes. So we took a break, went inside one of the villages, explored and interacted with the locals where they were willing to let us wander around in their mango orchard, uh, break some mangoes, taste them. They, of course, had their stories they wanted to share with us. And it also gave us some time to take a break and interact with the locals and find out how they live and things like that. Uh, Similarly, as we rode on, we came to another place called Adina. So initially, we had not planned to take a break there. But since it was around 3.30 in the evening and uh, our final destination, Raiganj, was only 50 kilometers away, so we spent an hour in Adina, and it is a historical place. You can look it up on Google, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. It has got a huge mosque, and it has a fairly interesting history. ASI claims that it is one of the largest mosques in Asia, but I don't think that is true, Uh, primarily because almost every site I go, they say this is the largest mosque. What do you read there? Usually, I will take it with a pinch of salt, Mm -hmm. and if there is a local guide, I, uh, even in this place, there was a local guide. Uh, usually they charge 50 rupees, 100 rupees. And they tell you some interesting anecdotes, which I find very entertaining. And I am personally quite interested in myths about places. So I will often want to get a guide, hear him out, believe maybe 50% of what he says, at the most 60%, know that 20 to 30% is what he's made up. And 10% is his personal stories or his personal viewpoint about things. So usually taking a guide, taking a local helps. 
And in this particular case, when I first went to Adina, because I was on a bike trip, and I had a friend along with me. So we had our luggage and we didn't know what to do about it. Uh, but this, uh, there was a shop there where they offered to take care of the bike, uh, which primarily meant that we would give them 20 bucks and they would let me park in their garage. So that seemed like a good deal and the local was pretty helpful. They also had a shop. So we bought some cold drinks and biscuits and things like that from there. So that kind of, uh, so Adina has a very nice setup of the local villagers also getting some business out of this historical place. And it also gave us off time from arriving. And typically four o'clock is a good time for photography. So while we were roaming around there, we saw some girls, like some local girls who had come there to romance their boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just took a chance and told the girl, hey, could you like, you know, do some poses for us? And she was more than happy to do it. Her boyfriend or her brother, whoever was with her, did not seem to have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And it also broke the ice, right? So we were not seen as someone who was a threat to that area. So people were more welcoming, yeah. which I think is very important, especially since I do photography. Uh, when we go and we ask someone if we can take their picture, nine out of 10, they will not say no if you ask them nicely. And mm-hmm. in these locations, like, you know, sometimes always it's not possible that you go with a model, but having a human element makes the images a lot stronger for me. So often I will just ask someone to pose, like, you know, someone who's come in typically a relatively bright color, maybe, which because of the uh, fort, let's say, the bright colors seem to work wonderfully. So interacting with the locals and just being nice to people around you, I feel helps a lot. Adds an authenticity to your pictures to to do photographies with the locals. Very true. Absolutely. From Adina... An hour away was Raiganj, which has a bird sanctuary. So on this particular day, we rode on to Kulik Bird Resort. It's a government guest house right opposite the bird sanctuary. And that is where we put up for the night. Okay. So uh, for this particular lodge, do you need to do some kind of booking in advance? I know it's run by the uh, state government, right? So, or you can just uh, walk in and uh, most likely they would have a room for you. So this particular, uh, it's a tourist lodge that is run by the government. So my experience has been that usually government run sites, government run hotels are a little more rundown than let's say a four star hotel, but they are safe because everybody there, uh, they are accountable. So you can go to the West Bengal tourism site and you can book this particular guest house. If you do a booking, you are assured of getting a place. Otherwise, if there are government officials coming, sometimes it could uh, get you into trouble if you land up there and you don't have a booking. Uh, They have around 20 rooms and condition. This particular tourist lodge, they have their own watchtower. So if you are up there, you could get very interesting images of birds feeding and uh, from the lodge, which is why I like staying there. Also, since I'm on a motorbike and I will only be stopping for a day, government guest house usually has an enclosure where you can park your bike. So you don't have to take down all your luggage. You just take your tank bag with you, which carries your one change of clothes, underwear, socks, things like that. So it saves a lot of time the next day when you are hitting the road again. 
and uh, general clothes, things like that, jackets and all are safe. That's why I would highly recommend the Kulik uh, tourist lodge when you're there. Do some good photography. And the next day, again, you can hit the road early without having to repack your motorbike again. So is there a place to eat there as well? Or uh, you have to go to a local uh, restaurant? So this tourist lodge is not very far from the city. So if you want, you could explore the city if you want to get some food. The tourist lodge also has excellent food. So you could order food there and fairly reasonably priced, like a meal will cost set you back by maybe 200 rupees per person, uh, which includes non-veg, either chicken or fish. Uh, the staff there have been there forever, uh, being government employees. So I think most of them are there for a long time. So I maybe I visit this place once every year or every two, two years, and the mm-hmm. staff knows me now. Uh, when they see me, they know me. So it's like, you know, you feel like you're coming home. That's yeah. great. I also wanted to just ask you, Rajat, before we move ahead, did you get to see the open-billed stock, which the migratory bird that the Kulik Bird Sanctuary is famous for? Yes, we did get an opportunity to see the storks, see the birds. Winter season is when they are there uh, in great numbers. And if you are walking, it sounds very nice, right? That there are 70,000 birds that come and things like that. And you realize how dangerous it is if you are walking inside the sanctuary. Almost every second step, you will probably have bird droppings land on you. So you really have to be careful or have like, you know, a white brim cap to keep yourself clean. So you realize that while it's very nice, so many birds are there, walking down that path is not very easy. And also the noise, right? Are they, are they noisy? Very much. The young birds are very noisy. So if you're living there, you'd probably go crazy with so many birds, the whole cacophony of it. So Rajat, it is, it is day two, and today we are going to head from Raiganj to Siliguri. And how long will this leg of the trip take? We actually uh, did Raiganj to Shitong, which is a little further ahead of Siliguri. Uh, now, this is roughly around 200 kilometers, and Google says that it should take you around six hours. So we left Raiganj around 5.30 in the morning, and there are two routes when we are trying to go to Shiliguri. Shiliguri is famously known as a chicken neck, because most from most part of India, if you are going to Northeast, you have to go via Shiliguri. So there is one road, uh, which leaves Raiganj and 60 kilometers out of Raiganj, you take a detour into a state highway. And that is called a Bengal to Bengal highway, which will bring you out at Islampur. And there is the national highway, which from Raiganj will go to Dalkhola, which is in Bihar. From Dalkhola, it will go to Kishanganj and get you to Islampur. Uh, this road will take you maybe 40, 50 kilometers longer. Dalkhola is famous for traffic jams. So if you are on a four-wheeler, it is quite possible if you're unlucky, you could be stuck there for up to six to eight hours uh, because of railway crossings and the traffic jam that it causes. But again, the Bengal to Bengal highway, one, it is a state highway, and it is not very safe in the evening because there are lots of kids and 
animals that are running across the street. So we chose to avoid the Bengal to Bengal highway and go via the national highway. And being on a motorbike, we did not get stuck in the traffic jam. Maybe we lost 30 minutes along the way. Mm-hmm. And once we were, once we crossed Islampur, there is again a bypass, which like, you know, bypasses Shiliguri. So you bypass the main city of Shiliguri and you land up near Bagdobra. So we chose to take that road. And as luck would have it, Google showed a detour, which initially we ignored, but going on 500 meters, we realized that there was a traffic jam where even a bike couldn't uh, go by. So we again turned around and then we went via local villages. We took a detour of around 10 kilometers, being on a motorbike on really bad roads, bad country roads, but we just chose to chance it and see where it takes us. Uh, Since Google had said it'll take us only six hours to reach Shatong, we were sure that we could lose maybe two hours exploring the countryside. Also, we were hopeful that we would probably cut across some tea estate, uh, which would be near Shiliguri. So we just wanted to see, because many of these tea estates are small tea estates, which are near villages. So we just wanted an excuse to ride through these country roads. It's just a spirit of adventure that keeps you moving, right? Siliguri sounds like an amazing hill town. Is this place at the foothills of the Himalayas? Yes, it is at the foothills of the Himalayas. It has a whole bunch of tea estates and national parks. Uh, so elephants, like, you know, you could easily get an elephant sighting uh, not too far from Shiliguri in the forests out there. And the tea estates, like most of the tea estates, they have stories of leopards and things uh, like, you know, animals like that appearing every now and then. Which is why they say that do not be there after dark. It is not safe to be alone after dark. After dark, make sure that you're traveling in packs. Mm-hmm. And this is in the tea estates, which are surrounding Shiliguri. Okay. But Shiliguri itself is a very a developed city. Uh, it has like Hong Kong market, which is pretty famous for goods which have come in from Nepal. Uh, Shiliguri is very close to Nepal. So this is one of the places where imported things come from Nepal and Bangladesh and sold at a very reasonable or very cheap rate. So if you are in Shiliguri passing by, uh, definitely take an hour. If you enjoy shopping, go to Hong Kong market and you could get some pretty nice deals out there. I love bargaining shopping. Sounds like a lot of fun. Now I'm a foodie and I'm always looking for good places to eat good local food. Tell us about the type of food. Is there a lot of uh, Tibetan influence on the cuisine here? So Shiliguri is uh, the beginning where you will start getting momos. Uh, Shiliguri typically Mm. they have like, you know, they will serve you dal roti or rice and fish and things like that. But there is definitely Tibet momos and hill food available there. Mm -hmm. And as you leave the city, maybe 30 kilometers out of the city, as you reach Shebog Bridge, Coronation Bridge, there are lots of eateries which are catering and which are run by Nepalese or the hill people. And you start getting local hilly food available at these places. The yummy momos with the 
hot pungent chutneys. I remember eating it while we were on our way to Sikkim. Yes, so this is, uh, you will get momos mostly thukpa. chicken or pork. Yes, thuppa, which is a soup, which is warm. And shiliguri, it does get cold. Like, you know, just uh, because shiliguri is at an elevation of around 300 feet. And after this, uh, you start gaining height. Like Shitong, where we went to, uh, that was around 2,400 feet. Uh, so we climbed almost 2,000 feet in maybe three hours. So uh, two and a half, three hours, we gained 2,000 feet, which is quite a bit, and it starts getting chilly. So as the day, uh, pretty much after one in the afternoon, it starts getting cold when you're going up towards the hills. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Rajat, is about the homestays. I know we are in Shitong, and uh, there are a lot of homestays you know, all along this route, I, I presume. And homestays are often family run and uh, it's a great way to support the locals. And for many of them, tourism is their uh, number one way of, uh, you know, boosting their economy. Very true. You are very correct on this. So most of these homestays, they have tie up with some agencies, uh, with some travel agencies. But if you go there, usually you will find a homestay along the way. Most of the villages, like Shetong, the village we went to, it had maybe five houses. All of them had a homestay. And the homestays are pretty high-end. It's almost like staying in a three-star hotel. So you could uh, think that homestay means you're staying in their house, but they have actually made uh, two stories or three-story buildings where you have all the creature comfort. You have hot water, you have electricity, like, you know, you name it, good beds, good mattresses, clean sheets, towels. So it's almost like staying in a three-star hotel run by your family. And most of them, they are at a different, so they are maybe 100 meters apart and they have a great view. So you could almost choose which one you want. So every time you go to the same place, like even if you go to the same village and you stay in a homestay, a different homestay, you have a whole different experience. And most of these people, they're just so warm and nice mm -hmm. to you. Like in Shitong, I don't think anyone stays more than one day and we chose to stay for two and a half days. Oh, so wow. almost the whole village became our friend. Everyone seemed to know us. And uh, Shitong is famous for oranges. So we could you know, go to the orange grove and they would be happy to let you wander around, pick up some oranges. Uh, and while you're on the road, you will see people selling oranges, maybe a tad expensive, but because they don't have any other livelihood. So I'm always happy to like get a couple of kgs of oranges from these people. And you're right that uh, tourism is basically their only source of income. So, and they're not very expensive, like for maybe 1500 rupees, you would get three meals a day, twice you would get tea or coffee, and a bed. So I think that's a pretty good deal per person. So usually two people to a room. So 2,500 rupees uh, or 3,000 rupees. And uh, that is like including your food and tea, coffee, a smiling face of the host. So I think it's a pretty good deal. And there. sounds like very pocket friendly and uh, tourist friendly. It's similar to some of the bed and breakfast places you have in the U.S., you know, which uh, I'm just drawing a parallel to the homestays and, and the bed and breakfast places here. Yes, you're very right on that. 
and Rajat, then what about nighttime travel? Have you traveled in the nighttime or you usually stick to daytime and uh, in the hilly terrains? Uh, so I ideally plan my trip so that I'm at my destination by four in the evening since it very quickly it gets dark in the mountains. Uh, so we try to not travel at night, uh, but uh, every now and then we do need to do that. And the problem with night travel is one is wild animals that uh, they, you could get attacked by them or you could run into them. Uh, also roads, like if the roads are bad, oftentimes in the mountain, you are at an incline going up or down. So you're not able to see the roads very well. Uh, most of our vehicles, they don't have the best lighting system, especially around bends and things like that, because there is no street light or any other, you know, so even if you take a fall or if you're in a car and uh, you break down, uh, no one is going to come to save you till the next morning. Uh, and because the hills could get pretty cold out there, so usually I avoid traveling at night. If need be, I will stop by four or maybe even at three because that way I get to enjoy the last two hours of sunlight, do some photography, mm -hmm. enjoy the nature. That is primarily why we have gone there, right? To be with nature. And yeah. some of the food service places also probably closes uh, early, right? Mostly the homestays, they provide you food. So usually they will tell you that eight o'clock is the last order. So they can service you by nine o'clock. And most of these people, they get up very early. They get up by 4, 4.30. So they want to close the kitchen by 9 o'clock and be in bed by 9.30 or because they are again going to be up at 4 way before you. To, uh, like it's too cold for us to get up many times. So 5 or 6, uh, it gets, uh, it's still pretty cold for us to get out uh, unless you're a photographer and then you're up anyway. Uh, but for, I think most people, it's very cold and only people up at that hour are these people who run the homestays. You know, one of the things that really perked my excitement about this road trip was Mount Kanchinjunga. I've heard so much about this majestic mountains growing up. Um, it is the third largest peak in the world. I have seen some stunning pictures of these mountain ranges, especially during the sunrise. Now, if you want to take in the grandiose views of Kanchenjunga, where, when is the best place and where is the best place to watch this? And I'm sure you photographed this innumerable times. So October, November, you have the highest chance of seeing the Kanchenjunga. Again, like this is what I've heard from locals because many a time I visited and it has been cloudy, foggy or I haven't seen uh, the Kanchenjunga as I would want to see it early in the morning when the first light hits it and it changes uh, through different hues and different colors are shown up on the mountaintop. So October and November are the time that the locals say is the best time when uh, almost 80% of the time or 90% of the time you will see the mountain. And additionally on full moon nights, so one day before and after a full moon night, if you are lucky, you would have a spectacular viewing of the Kanchenjunga. Uh, Shitong, unfortunately, did not have a view of the Kanchenjunga while we were there. And next day, we moved on to Darjeeling. And Darjeeling has a place called uh, Tiger Hills from where maybe 20, 25 days in a year, you have a clear day and you will have mesmerizing view of the Kanchenjunga, which will actually take you through the seven colors that make up the white lie. 
So people who have seen it claim that they have seen all seven colors change on the and reflected on the mountain top. But you got to be really lucky for that. Sounds like the spectacular view cannot be enjoyed whenever you want it. And no matter how well you plan or or time your trip, the weather and the natures are, after all, the masters. And you do need a little bit of luck. Uh, this is this is something that is just about luck. And my co-traveler, uh, she was saying that she has been to the mountains, to the Arshiling, maybe uh, 60 times, 60, and she has wow. not had the opportunity of seeing Kanchenjunga. She's still waiting for it. Once a year, she goes there in the I hope that she can. I read in the Times of India last year that during the pandemic, the people of Shiliguri woke up to a magical morning. They could apparently get a very clear view of the mountain peaks of Kanchenjunga from right from their homes. Not sure if this is true or not, but seems like while us humans stayed indoors under lockdown, nature got some much needed uh, breathing space with less pollution. Very possible. It is very possible. And on a clear day, Kanchenjunga is just smiling down at you. So, you know, suddenly you might realize in the middle of the day, oh my God, that's Kanchenjunga. Really? You, like, you know, I have had it happen to me where I've been riding I look at a range on the side and then I say, wait, hold on. That looks like Kanchenjunga. It's like, you know, just there. But uh, the grandeur of the Kanchenjunga is when the colors are changing early in the morning and late, uh, usually early in the morning. So if you can get that view, that is most spectacular. Otherwise, yes, on a, I would say at an average in a year, maybe from Shiliguri, uh, 50 days or 60 days in a year, they can see Kanchenjunga clearly. And during pandemic, I'm sure it probably went up to 100, 150 days because of less pollution, like, you know, maybe after the rains, once the dust settles down and things like that. So I, I quite believe that it is possible. So in Darjeeling, uh, the Aliceville Hotel is said to be a heritage hotel and it is beautiful, right? Yes. Uh, so after spending two, two and a half days in Shitong, we decided that it was time to do our final stage of the trip and uh, head to Darjeeling. So Darjeeling, it said, was GPS had around a two, two and a half hour drive. Maybe it took us four hours because we went wandering around and photographing along the way. Winding roads are always a pleasure to ride on. And in Darjeeling, we were lucky to uh, get a hotel, uh, the Aliceville, which is ideally located at where the mall, the mall is basically like the city, uh, the town square of Darjeeling. Aliceville is where we went and it's a heritage hotel where even Satyajit Ray had shot a film called Kanchanjanga. So it has that old world charm, like uh, large windows, red carpeting, the finish is very British. So it makes you feel like you have come to a very quaint, typical British structure. And they still have the decor, you get to see some of the old pictures, which give character, like the teapots and the, the setup that they have in the lounge, things like that. In Aliceville, uh, we were lucky to get a room there. And interestingly, the first day we went there, they said, well, you know, four, uh, four o'clock is when you order dinner and we serve you by five o'clock. And six o'clock, definitely our kitchen is closed. 
So the first day we took it with a pinch of salt that really you want us to order by four or four thirty, crazy. But anyway, we went ahead along with it, and this was in uh, December, and we realized that actually it was so cold there was no way we were going to get out of the room. So I can well see that why they wanted to close by six. I don't think we stepped out of the room after four thirty or so. It was just too cold outside. and we were happy to have like soup and thoppa warm drinks in the room itself the first thing that comes to my mind about darjeeling is of course the tea and i've read that darjeeling tea is the champagne of all teas there's nothing like a hot cup of tea to warm you up so do you have any personal recommendations to have a good tea experience here so when you're in darjeeling there are a couple of restaurants and tea tasting places at the mall itself so the first day you get there there is a shop called natmuls where you can taste tea and you could probably talk to them about visiting their tea garden so they would set you up or let you know whom to contact so you could go down uh, see how the tea plantations work the interesting thing would be to go to where they are actually preparing tea most of the tea plantation technically uh, without a permit you should not go in but they know that if they are tourists the tourists will come in a little bit and they are okay with it people are very nice and welcoming so you could definitely go to the tea gardens spend some time there and they usually have a setup where even if you have gone unannounced you could go in uh, request the manager and he will make it convenient for you to do a tea tasting take around the garden to some extent especially if they have a place where they are preparing tea that is a fascinating site to see all the different process that they do uh, so most often a tourist agency uh, there are a couple of them at the mall itself rajat are you a tea drinker or a coffee drinker better bet would be tea drinker and which uh, tea did you like the best if you have tried any of them there so i like tea and uh, once uh, you come to darjeeling you realize that they are more about the liquor the liquor the first flush has a different feel the second flush has a different feel a different quality of tea that you get uh, when you prepare it and uh, there are a whole bunch of tea gardens so i would uh, i would say that when you are there uh, i forget the name there were like you know three four particular gardens where they had their you could taste the tea and then you could buy it mm-hmm. so gopal hara is one brand and then mission hill these are some of the tea that i kind of remember tasting and Let's back up a little bit. Did you mention tea liquor? Tea liquor, yeah. Liquor I mean, is basically. About, oh, it's not alcoholic. Not alcoholic. Okay. Liquor is basically when you make the tea without putting any milk in it. Either it will have a fragrance or it will have a bitterness to it. So Darjeeling is more about the fragrance. The first flush of the tea has more of a fragrance. What other nearby sites do you recommend in Darjeeling? There's a lot of Japanese influence also because of Buddhism being the primary religion around there, right? 
Uh, it's actually Christianity. Uh, okay. That is uh, in Darjeeling. It's also very famous for a school called North Point School. Mm -hmm. So the education scene is very strong there. There are some very good schools in Darjeeling. Uh, there are lots of Nepalese. So there is also Buddhist influences. Tiger Hill is one place you go for sunrise. Toy train is something that you want to take and explore. The toy train, uh, you could like, you know, take a one hour ride each way and uh, that will take you through nature. So it's more about being with nature, being with hills, uh, going on trail walks, things like that, which is what I personally like to do, being more with nature. And uh, of course, the roads being twisted roads, like, you know, twisty roads. So I enjoy riding my bike. We are sadly coming to the end of this amazing road trip experience. As the saying goes, no road trip is long with some good company and this virtual trip was absolutely fabulous in the company of both of you. Rajat, thank you once again for taking us on this fabulous road trip and sharing some wonderful stories through your travel odysseys. I'm sure our listeners are itching to now transform this virtual trip into a real experience. Most welcome. You could also go down to my uh, blog and check out some of the images that I have from the trip. Yes, if you wish to see Rajat's amazing travel photographs, please visit his website, which is Editorial Photography indiarajat.blogspot.com This information will also be available on our Facebook and Instagram pages which is the Stories Between the Lines podcast. Thank you again Rajat. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah, a total fun ride. I hope you all enjoy this episode of Stories Between the Lines podcast. We have received some great feedback on the previous episodes. Please keep it coming. It's like tonic for us. And please like our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. Thank you and we will meet again real soon.